The following podcast is a production of The Network. Check us out on BICBP-radio.com. Trust the process. Do you respect the process? Processors, welcome back college football enthusiasts, NFL draft enthusiasts. We got another episode of Processing the Process here for you. Brian Finch, you know, my co-host all the way across the country now. Uh, Ryan Holt Bailey, living it up in Texas. What's up, Brian? Doing pretty good, Brian. How are you doing? I am alone. It's weird yeah. being by myself in the studio here, Ryan, I have to admit. I'm, I'm, I'm a little out of my element, but at least I get to see your face and uh, I get to see uh, our special guest face here the, through the wonderful app and uh, website of Zoom. So why don't we do this right Absolutely. now? Let's, let's welcome in our very special guest. He is Joe Marino. He is part of the Draft Network. He is a senior NFL draft uh, expert and uh, fellow Bills fan. So, Joe, thanks for hopping on. Thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to this, and we got some good stuff to talk about, so I'm excited. Well, yeah, it's football's back. Uh, last night I was watching UAB and Central Arkansas, getting get my you know taste buds all geared up, ready for the real kickoff next week when we have the bigger uh, conferences getting into uh, their schedules. So, uh, yeah, football's back. It feels real, feels right, and uh, I think we're ready to uh, learn a little more. So that's why we got Joe on today. I hope everyone enjoys this. Uh, just real quick, Joe is um, one of the bigger influences for me for when I go on Twitter or online and I absorb content about drafts and getting uh, your head wrapped around the idea of prospects and, and how do you look at them and what kind of tips and things you kind of look for in different prospects. So uh, I had to have my man Joe on. He's very gracious to come on with us. He's a busy man. He's got a lot going on in his life, so we really appreciate it. So uh, we'll get into us here so he can get back to his family life. And uh, Ryan, let's uh, kick it off here. All right. Yeah, again, th uh, Joe, th thanks for coming on. It means a lot. So, um, all right. So this is kind of like a two-parter to start, it off, start us off. So um, tell us a little bit about the Draft Network and kind of how you got your start in scouting. Man, the Draft Network is – Really exciting. Um, I almost want to call it a passion project. We just had a group of guys that have been really just grinding away at how do, how do, how do we get to do this on a big scale? How do we uh, get to take all these ideas that we've had covering the draft independently? How do we team up? How do we get funding? And how do we make this the only thing that we do? And we found the right group of people. We found, found the right investment opportunity. And um, it's grown from there. Um, we wanted to cover the NFL draft like never before. It, you know, it's one of these things where it's growing in popularity at such a high rate. And the coverage was failing in our views. And uh, it was the year before we launched, it took a lot of preparation. I mean, a lot goes into launching a website. 
And uh, it was the year before, and we had gotten to the NBA playoffs, and more people watched the NFL draft than they did the NBA playoffs. And we're like, this is big. This is big stuff, and nobody's covering it well. We wanted to change that. We wanted to make the NFL draft a year-round discussion because it is. If you're going to effectively evaluate an entire draft class worth of players, understand team needs, understand roster construction, it's a year-round discussion. It's not something you just pick up in January, and then at the end of April, the draft happens, and that's it. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> if you want to do it well, we have to make it a 12-month thing. And so we, we've tried to find ways to do that. And then we thought if we could take our knowledge base and the passion that we have for it, produce this content, and put it together these kind of reports, reports, and then also have interactive tools. Like we have our Build Your Own Big Board. We have our, our mock draft machine, which has some really exciting updates that are coming here very soon, like in the next week, um, that we could build a great hub for the NFL draft and I'm excited about where it's gone um, the amount of people that we've been able to bring on and get to work with us and it's been it's only been a little over two years and I'm really excited about where we're going with it how did I get my start in this thing is I guess a lot of luck <laughs> I worked really hard I mean I, I just I wanted to work in football you know I I spent like 10 years in retail auditing spent like seven more years as an executive for a company and business management doing, doing very well. But those things, the whole time I'm working these other jobs, all I'm thinking about is football. You know, I remember being in college and I'm sitting there trying to take these college classes and the whole time I'm just sitting there thinking about players, thinking about teams, thinking about transactions. And it's like, how do I find a way to make this not just a hobby, but my career. And it's required a lot of sacrifice. Um, but it was one of those things where I knew that I needed to give it everything that I could or else I'd just be working a job that I didn't like for a really long time like everyone else. I didn't want that. And so just kind of kept taking that next thing. You know, what was the, what made sense for me was start a social media presence and try to do a great job with that. And then you, you, you work hard at that and you get opportunities to showcase your work. And so you take every one of those opportunities and do the best you can and then they just lead one thing leads to another, I guess, if you do a good job with it. And the next thing you know, I, you know, several years, it didn't happen overnight. I mean, goodness, I started, I, I wrote for a website called uh, on the clock draft. I was their bills guy. And this was, <laughs> I don't know, like 2005, you know? And so, I mean, it was like a 10, 15 year process to get to the point where this was all I had to do to pay my bills. Um, but I just feel like I worked really hard, networked, and, and got a little bit lucky. Well, right, that's awesome. Yeah, that's it awesome. definitely it definitely shows up, Joe. Um, I'm not sure. If, I'm I'm hoping you're aware, but that your passion and your, and your love for the game of football shows up in your writing. It shows up in your podcast. It shows up in you know the way you represent your company and all your fellow writers and analysts. You know, you you guys. Um, like I wasn't you know trying to get too mushy on this, but you inspired me to take on something new. And, and I think Ryan feels the same that you it's guys like you that showed us like, you know, you, you can go for it. You can, you can give this a shot and you know, football's your life, then make it your life. I, I appreciate that. And, you know, I spent so much time thinking to myself, okay, what, what are, what do I want to do? How do I get there? What are people that are doing what I'm doing doing to do what they're doing. I know I said do a million times right there, but hopefully that made sense. I try to just like, all right, I want to, I want to be the next Mel Kuyper. Well, how do I get to be the next, ne next Mel Kuyper? Well, there's only one, well, one Mel Kuyper. Everyone else that does draft stuff is also doing other things. And so how do I, 
expand my portfolio and showcase the the breadth of everything I can do. And um, I just try to emulate people and, and get to know people and network and take some chances and just made sure that at the end of the day, I was honest with myself and that I gave it my best shot. I mean, Kyle Krabs and, and I, we go way back. Um, we're so lucky to get to do what we do together because we've spent so much time, you know, getting paid like pennies for an article, not getting paid anything for an article. And we would pay our own way to the senior bowl. And we, we, you know, he would, he lived in, in Philadelphia. He drive from Philadelphia to Charlotte. Then we would get in my car and go from Charlotte to mobile the whole time, 10 hours down to mobile talking about what moves can we do? What, what things can we do to position ourselves for opportunities? And man, we did that probably three years in a row before it started to kind of connect and click. And we told each other, like, we're, we're at similar points in our lives. Um, actually, we got married within a few weeks of each other. I just had a baby. He's got a baby coming in December. You know, we've had very similar, we're at similar points in our life. And we always told ourselves, like, at some point, like, if it doesn't happen, we're going to have to be honest and, and realize that it's not a, an investment of our time that makes sense anymore, right? And you need to focus on other things. Luckily, we, we never got there. And, um, but it's something that we thought about and just wanted to be honest with the effort that we put into it. You know, I, I, I can't stress that I do think that there's a lot of luck involved with the people that you meet and the opportunities that get presented. But I just made sure my effort was, was really good. And, and I, I, I think I appreciate where I'm at right now because of that. And I've had jobs that I didn't like to do. And because of that, it, it's like maybe I don't necessarily have the great energy every single day. But as soon as I remember, man, I could be sitting at a desk and having employees that are upset and, you know, having to deal with them and clients. And it's like, I don't want that. You know, I don't want that again. And so um, I don't know how I got on this tangent, but I just want to make sure that my energy, my effort was, was good. And I consider myself very lucky. Yeah. You must, yeah, you, I mean, you'd much rather be the guy dealing with the Twitter tr trolls than uh, dealing right. with. Uh, <laughs> right. Just mute them and move on with your life. That is something that's, that's interesting. Like, you have this journey on social media where like if your, your platform grows where you start off and you just, you, you take every comment and response. So like personal and you really feel like you have to defend yourself and it, it gets, I don't know, it gets unproductive at times. And then you just kind of mature into it. And I mean, you can, you can only put so many mock drafts out and have people yell at you. And, and I mean, really just have unbelievable responses that I cannot believe human beings have to, just your prediction of a player that they're going to pick uh, six months before the draft. You, you go through this so many times and you just realize like what's worth your energy and what's not. And it's, it's kind of interesting because like it, it goes just beyond you, right? You have to get to the point where you're comfortable with the trolls and the people that are just mad at you and don't like your opinions on football. And so they hate you as a person because of that. But then it's like the other layers of it where people that care about you also see it, you know, like, your wife, your, your mom, your, your siblings. And they see this stuff and they're like, man, that guy was so rude to you. And, and they, they're like, why do they have to be that way? And so like, as soon as you get yourself to this point that you're mature to handle it and you know how to deal with it, it's like, all right, now I got to tell my wife. Now I got to tell my mom, <laughs> my sister, you know, like, look, it's not yeah. a big deal. It's just, it comes with being in the public space. Um, I don't know how we're going. We're getting on some tangents here that I didn't expect, but uh, yeah, that just kind of comes with it. But um yeah, I would much rather deal with somebody that's mad about my football opinions than a disgruntled employee. There you go.
So I guess that uh, a, a decent segue is to uh, let, let's talk about something that makes Joe happy. So let's talk about uh, what uh, Joe's favorite part of scouting is. Uh, it's, I mean, it's definitely just watching the players, right? You, you do this extensive work to understand who this player is, what they do well, what they don't do well, write up your report, do all the background information. So you have this picture of this player and how they fit into the NFL. And that's, that's fun. That's behind the scenes. The best part, though, is when you get to have those conversations with other people that have done the same work. And you can have good conversations. Okay, what did you see? Why do you think that? Was I a little bit too low here? Why do you know? And just really compare those notes and challenge yourself to make sure that you're not missing anything. I know when I go into a discussion with Kyle or Jordan Reed or Dre Harris or Brentley Wiseman on our staff that I have to make sure that I've done my job because they're going to have good questions and they're going to have done their work and just comparing those notes and ideas and trying to get the right valuation on a player is just really fun to me. Like I, like that's, that's the piece of it. It's the work and then talking about it and having good discussions about football players. Oh, I I definitely see that. You know what I mean? I I definitely see that uh, when you're working so closely with other people that you hold to high regard for your, you know, job title, you know, it's no different than any other job that someone takes on that when you interact with someone who's evaluating and and participating in the same um, realm that you are, you want to make sure that you're on your, you know, best, uh, you know, evaluation skills and maybe with your just what comfortability. And I mean, that's probably a big thing about scouting and players that you're really comfortable with where you started with them and where you ended with them. And then why you feel so strongly one way or another about this prospect. Yeah. I, I love that word that you use comfortable and you see guys all the time say, well, you know, I did a rewatch on the tape or I went back a second time or the, the combine happened and I had to go watch this player again. And I don't, I don't relate with those comments because I don't come to those opinions until I've done enough work to make me have that opinion. Right. Like, I, I, I guess like, are you just not doing enough on the initial watch that you didn't get that complete preview, that complete picture of the player that, you know, something happened that's going to allow yourself to be influenced and you're going to change your mind about, a player. Now, sometimes there is new information, right? You go to a combine situation and, you know, a player is drastically different athletically than you saw on tape. And you're like, I do need to cross check that. But sometimes it's like, there's no new info when there's no new information introduced about a player and you have to go rewatch him. And all of a sudden you have a completely different picture. Like what'd you do the first time? So I I like the word that you use comfortable there. Like go into that with the idea that you're going to come away with this watch and this study of this player with an understanding of who they are and where your opinion is and don't stop until you get there. Right. Right. Um, okay. Um, I like this next question a lot because I'm still so new into the, this whole scouting thing. And it's just nice to hear like what experts have to say about this. Um, Cause I feel like every position is hard for me to evaluate no matter what it is. So for you, Joe, what position is the toughest to evaluate? I got to give you two. I couldn't just pick one quarterbacks is the easy answer. I think watching the tape and coming away with traits is very easy for quarterbacks. Does a guy have accuracy, arm strength? How do they handle pressure? What's their mobility? Like what's their decision-making process? Like very easy to come away with. The hard part is to come away with 
the stuff that really defines whether guys are going to be good or not. And that's what type of person they are, what type of leader they are, um, how smart they are in terms of football intelligence, their recall, all that type of stuff. And I don't have that information, right? I don't, I don't get to bring in all, all these quarterbacks and like get to know them and put them on the whiteboard, watch tape, get a feel for them, you know, see how they are at a, at a dinner or a restaurant and how they interact with the people at the restaurant or play golf with them. I don't get those opportunities. Right. So I, I feel like at a position where all those intangibles matter so much, not having the full picture is how you think Josh Rosen's the best quarterback in the draft. And then you find out later on that he's never identified a Mike linebacker before. Well, how am I supposed to know that? Right. <laughs> Based on the information I have available to me. I, I mean, that, that blew me away. We, he comes from what we thought was an NFL system, but he never ID'd a Mike linebacker. I mean, that, that is just the tip of the iceberg for what he didn't know that we didn't know he didn't know. So the tape piece of quarterback eval, easy. Just because you don't get that information to get the full picture at a position like quarterback where that matters so much, that's where it's hard. The other position that I'll say is difficult for me is safety. Um, safeties play so far off the ball so many times, right? And there are times where you just watch a guy, you're like, I'm not sure this guy did anything right. I don't think he did anything wrong. I just watched an entire game and he didn't show up. Like I didn't feel him on tape. Like there's, I think that matters. Like you're watching a football player. You want to figure out how aggressive are they? How do they impact the game? Right? How does this player impact the game? And if sometimes these safeties just, you can watch your own game tape and not see anything, you know, just playing over top and coming down and making sure they're that last line of defense, but the tackles are made. You don't really get a, a feel. So I feel like you have to do a lot of work and understanding missed opportunities and, you know, how they're layering their coverages. And it's not just man or zone. Sometimes when you're watching coverages, sometimes they're playing man to one side of the field and zone on the other. And so there's so much that goes into it. I just don't always feel like I get the full picture based on what I can extrapolate. So right. I think that makes safeties dif difficult. I feel like with safety too, like that's something where you need to have that all 22 film yeah, too, to watch it. I mean, because you can't just go on YouTube and type in highlights and just go and watch a safety. So he just what's good about that screen. i will say yeah so the good thing about a highlight reel though is you, you do get to see those best moments now you don't get to see all the stuff in between that really matters right but like right. all right when this guy was at their best what types of plays did they make and how did they make them and why did they make them i you do get that because you like you can watch the wrong four games of a safety you're pretty quiet you know you're not going to see those impact moments and so sometimes it is nice to watch four or five games and then pull up the highlight reel and get it, get an idea of, okay, what, what did it look like when they, when they're at their best? Right. I wonder when it, uh, when it comes to safeties, if, cause we know that some of the elite safeties have come from certain programs. Alabama puts out good safeties. LSU puts out good safeties. You know what I mean? Ohio state puts out good safeties. I wonder if that's more or less to the fact that um, you can, you can scout the systems you can scout the coaches, the, the programs, and you can get a comfortability with what exactly they're, they're being tasked to do. Because, like you said, they're, they're back there on their island. And the way that I kind of like to look at safeties from time to time is they're kind of the magic eraser, you know, the last line of defense. So when a cornerback messes up, that safety might, got, might see that. He might understand that he didn't break, you know, take the right guy when they're playing in a, in a, you know, in a cover four or so or cover two situation, 
and he may actually have to leave his spot, what he's in charge of on that play, to actually go and make it up. And I wonder if guys that come from the, the stronger programs get a better chance to shine in that aspect. I don't know what you think about that. And I, I think the, the schools that you named, Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, um, what's consistent about all those teams is, is talent around those safeties, right? So you don't have to have those guys overcompensating for uh, an underwhelming cornerback and having to cheat and roll and play, you know, outside the hash when they're really the post the hash defender, you know, they don't have to okay. cheat, right? So there's, there's no makeup. They should have guys in those spots that, that can perform to the right levels so that the safety doesn't have to do more and you can get a true feel for them. So I think the talent around them does does help showcase those players better. Okay. So do you have like like a curve for that almost like like a grading curve in terms like if they're playing for one of those big schools that have like the powerful like secondaries all in front of them like do you have something to like that I guess levels out the talent versus the talent around everybody else? You uh you bring up a good point here. I was talking to Matt Williamson who um former NFL scout and we were talking several years ago about um, Raekwon McMillan for Ohio State. And we're having an off-the-record conversation. I was like, man, I don't really see what's Raekwon McMillan. You know, I, I think he's very ordinary player, downhill run thumper. And he goes, yeah, one of those guys that if he didn't have an Ohio State helmet on, you wouldn't care about him. I'm like, yeah, exactly that. If that guy played at Purdue, nobody would be talking about this guy, right? So you, you do have to balance it both, right, both ways, right? Like, don't just over – celebrate a player because they're a good player at a big school you know like sometimes think about if that guy wore a different helmet what'd you think what would you think about that player right. sometimes that'll help you with um you know not not overvaluing them but that's to really kind of dig into your question about it do i have a curve well, i think what that comes down to is that's why you got to make it about traits and that's why you you know you got to watch sc small school players and you know, you're watching the ACC. That means you're watching Clemson. You're watching Virginia Tech. You're also watching Duke, right? I mean, just different calibers of players. That's why traits always matter. Somebody said to me uh, recently um, that I was talking with actually a, a, an NFL scout. He said, small school players have been doing well in the NFL for a long time. Just go look at the Hall of Fame, right? I mean, the small school players everywhere. It's got to be about traits because traits translate. That's, you know, you could, what type of, it's not always, it's not always the mental side that's easy to pick up because you don't always know the play call. You don't know, always know exactly what they're supposed to do. You could figure it out a lot of times if you want to really replay it and look at all the, you know, the different pieces of, of the, of the rep, but traits, that's why you got to keep it about traits and that'll help you overcome those natural biases. Okay. I'm watching a cornerback from Ohio state, probably a good player, right? Well, Keep it about the traits, right? Scout, scout the player, not the helmet. Uh, yep, I love that. It's, it's it's a one of those cliche sayings, but things don't become cliche until they've been proven right over and over and over again. Yeah, I like what you said, Burrell, Real quick before we move on to the next one about the the small schools. I was saying to some of my friends, I'm like, man, you could really build a, a crazy NFL lineup if you just stuck to like small schools. Yeah, Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, you know. He, he, Terrell owns you, you can go on and on. These guys didn't necessarily come from big programs. Uh, Antonio Brown, you know, these, yep. these are all small schools, um, smaller conferences. And uh, I think that's um, the good challenge that I look forward to as I try and get more into the scouting is 
when I look at a small school program, I'm going to bring up Ron. Ryan can call who it's going to be. Uh, Jared Patterson from UB that we're not going to get to watch this year. Small school. I love this guy's tape. I, I, yep. I, I think he really has a good chance of locking on, and I'm going to try and use my evaluation of him and translate it to other positions and kind of see, you know, when I look at a smaller school exactly, because running back's different. They're featured. You know what I mean? They're all by themselves, especially when you're watching broadcast film, because me and Ryan, that's kind of what we're stuck with a lot of time. We don't get the coach's tape. So you get to watch the running back for the full length of the play. So I'm going to try and dive into some other positions and uh, figure out, um, you know, exactly uh, what to look for. So moving on, we did toughest evaluation. What's the easiest evaluation, Joe? I think easy is hard, a hard word because let's be, I mean, it's, it's difficult, right? All, all evaluation is difficult. You're, you're trying to take all the information that you can and project it to a level of football. That's the highest of the highs. I would say the one that comes the, the most natural to me is, is O-line, D-line. Um, I didn't play football at a high level, but I, I played high school football. I played offensive line and defensive line all four years. Had the opportunity to play in college. I, I wound up not pursuing it. My brother played defensive end uh, actually at Wingate University for uh, Joe Reich, Frank Reich's brother right. over there. Is he, a, is he a coach there now, Joe? Captain. Is he a coach My there? brother? Yeah. No, he's not. No. Okay. I thought I heard no. you once say one time he was coaching somewhere. Nope, he's not. Um, so I, I have, a, I think I'm really well versed in O-line, D-line play and the techniques, observing techniques, seeing how sudden the guy's hands are, the leverage, the bend, uh, how powerful they are at the point, uh, whether they understand run fits or if they can move bodies, roll their hips in the contact of an offensive lineman. That stuff's easy. Like It comes natural to me to, to extrapolate that from the tape. So I think because of my familiarity and, you know, having at a very amateur level had some of those responsibilities, it's easy for me to kind of pick up when I'm watching tape. So I'll say O-line, D-line. Uh, before we move on to the next question, um, let's use Bills for an example. Trey Adams, you know, they added mm-hmm. as a undrafted. He was a high when – you, when you looked at the 2020 draft previous, you know, year or whatever, in the early mock drafts, he would have been a – high prospect that was that was being taken now we know he dealt with a severe injury but beyond that do do you see any flaws in his technique or something that you picked up on from one year to the next that really shows like how important it is for offensive linemen to hammer home those techniques and really just trying because I I've heard one time Ross Tucker said this that a lot of times when it comes to whether or not you succeed as an offensive lineman is if you can just stay stable if you can stay balanced, if you can just keep even keel, most reps, you'll notice that because you're dealing with five guys all working together yep. in tangent, you need to stay within your, you know, assignment and, and, you know, you understand who you're picking up and stuff like that. So maybe it's not as much physical as much as it's about mental and, and, and staying with good technique. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think Ross makes a good point. Um, I remember being at the Shrine Shrine Bowl a few years ago, and, and it was the assistant offensive line coach for the uh, Minnesota Vikings at the time. And you get to stand right there on the sideline, uh, in, like literally feet away, and you can hear everything that's being said. And uh, he said, you know, he kept on saying, that's all you need. That's all you need, right? Like we think offensive line, like road grade, getting guys blasted out of holes, putting them on their back, pancake blocks. 
you're right. Sometimes that's literally all you need. Sometimes all you have to do as an offensive lineman is take somebody where they want to go just a little more than they want to get there, and all of a sudden that gap widens, and all of a sudden their rush lane's a little bit wider than it was anticipated. And, and that doesn't always require, you know, brute strength and just mauling guys, but it's a win on that rep. Playing within yourself and with good control is huge for offensive linemen. Yep, I've heard that before. And that comes the, – the technique that goes into doing that well stems from having good bend and really sinking your hips and uh, not folding at the waist and bending your knees and not getting your head out over your toes and, and not you know, causing these posture and weight distribution issues where all of a sudden you're lunging and you're falling off contact or you're not in a good position in your pass sets to, you know, to strike your hands and – all of a sudden they're drawing you out of your set because you didn't, you're not comfortable with keeping your weight back. And there's, you grease these angles for these guys to get around you. So nothing I just said has anything to do with how strong a guy is or how big a guy is or how long his arms are. It's just getting into those set points and playing within yourself and not overextending. Now you have to have a baseline level of mobility and power, right? Obviously, but yeah, technique can, can carry you a long way with Trey Adams the guy was just a different player in 2018 and 2019 than, or before he got hurt and after he got hurt. I don't want to cross up my dates here, but when you watched Trey Adams early in his career at Washington, you thought you were watching a future first round pick. Then he just got injured, right? He had the knee, he had the back and he just wasn't the same guy. He couldn't move as effectively. You could see he still played an aggressive brand of football. He's still powerful, but he couldn't keep up with guys. And because he couldn't keep up with guys, all of those body control, balance, technique issues come into play, and he's not consistent. And he got away with it. Like, he didn't grade poorly at Washington. But when you think about that guy now blocking Von Miller or Miles Garrett or, you know, just Bosa brothers, anybody that you're going to face in the NFL, you're like, it's, it's not going to work. And so I think his injuries just cost him too much mobility and flexibility, and it just the skill set was lost. Is that a guy you can move to the inside? No, because he's 6'8", right? I yeah, mean, no, that's huge. That's just too – it's too tall. Um, the thing about being on the inside is that mo- mobility is not as important. It's weird because the action happens quicker, but you don't have to be as mobile because you're not on an island. You just need to be able to absorb. And also, like, you can have too much length on the inside too. You know, we love length on the outside at tackle, but on the inside, it's, it works against you. You, you want to have ba- you know, baseline length, but you, you don't need 35, 36-inch arms to play guard. That's too much length. So right. I, think, I don't think his issues are solved by moving him inside, to be honest with you. You just want those hands to fire uh, faster and get to the chest quicker. Sudden, sudden powerful hands, and, and, and you got to be able to absorb, right? So you need, right. You, when you're 6'8", good God, like those guys, you have natural leverage problems. Like you're punching down on guys, and you're never going to get your – your hip elevation is just too high for you to play with enough leverage to be able to absorb, insert whatever NFL defensive tackle. You got me thinking right now, Joe, that we might have to have a part two where you just, you're throwing around the scouting terms and sinking the hips and stuff of like that. We're going to have to have you come back on and just yeah. break that down for people. <laughs> you're going to have to break that down for me and Ryan a little bit. I, I played tough, offensive man. linemen until I, I only grew to be five foot nine. So, but I was always a heavy kid. So I got stuck in the offensive line. And then when I turned 15, I tried to make JV. I had guys that were 6'2 and whatever, and they're just mauling me over. 
What do you do of a guy that's five foot nine and, and runs like a, a six flat 40? <laughs> you got some physical restrictions there, my guy. But sometimes those shorter guys, you, you, I call them fire hydrants, right? They're just, they, they, they have that built in leverage. It's like, a, right. like, I love that in running backs. Like, my perfect running back is like five nine two fifteen. 215. Right. They don't offer much surface area. They're low, low center of gravity and, and, and like, they have that natural built-in leverage, but yeah, I mean, and eventually you, 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 you could be too short. And I think, I think my guy, that was maybe your problem. So you don't think any five for nine guys could ever make it in the NFL? Tough. Be tough. Right. Maybe you could play corner, some slot corner, if you get some fluid hips and really See, be shifty with guys. That, that's where I miss out. I needed to do some yoga back yeah. in the day. You were, you were training the wrong way. That's the only reason you're not in yeah. the NFL right now. All right. Someone invent that time machine. I'm going back to be a stud corner in, at uh, Michigan. Yeah, never, never the other school. Uh, Ryan, you got the next question, sir. All right. Um, Joe, do you have any good tips or, I guess, resources for guys that are entering into the scouting world? Man, um, resources, I guess, or just – I watch a lot of coaching clinics. Um, I some stuff I Some stuff I try to do all the time is invest in my knowledge of the game. I read a lot of books – watch a lot of coaching clinics. One thing I did this summer is um, um, watched a, a clinic from the Virginia Tech uh, defensive backs coach and hearing him talk about their press coverage techniques and how they layer coverage. And then I watched some, uh, actually Butch Jones, not Butch Jones, the, the guy at Tennessee, who replaced him, uh, Jeremy Pruitt, good gracious, the current Tennessee coach, Jeremy Pruitt, talking about his coverage techniques because two teams that I'm responsible for uh, for the draft network is Tennessee and Virginia tech. And I wanted to really understand what these guys were asked to do in the techniques and um, hearing that and then watching their players was really helpful to me. So I guess for tips and techniques, like just keep investing in your knowledge of the game. And I think that will help you extrapolate what's happening on tape better. Um, there's so many different ways guys are taught to do things. Don't think that the way that you think it should be done is the only way that it can be done. And that's, if they don't do it the way you think it should be done, then they're wrong, right? So continue to learn techniques, um, read, produce, right? If you wanna, if you wanna be in football content creation, you have to create content. Like even if nobody's paying you for it or anything like that, like you have to put it out there because if it's good, eventually somebody will, right? Like. I go back and I read some of the stuff I wrote like in 2013, 2014. I'm like, I can't believe somebody published that. So you don't get better with it until you, you produce it. So like keep learning, keep producing, keep getting feedback and grow and just give it great effort. Oh, we had uh, Chris Trapasso on uh, a couple of weeks ago. And when I asked him that question, he brought up a book real quick. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with Pat Kerwin's keep your eye off the ball. Yeah. yeah, and then got the, that book for sure. Oh, I love that book, Ryan. You got to. I actually I was able to get it for free on uh, Amazon, just uh, Amazon Digital. But um, have you ever used something like um, what's on Draft NFL? It's Mark just, Jarvis's uh, work. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm familiar with Mark and what he does. So he uses old. Um, it's not current players. A lot of times, it as in like the coming up draft. Um using that as a reference if i'm going to start using that what's the best way of using that to hone your eyes on what you're looking for as far as technique wise let's just use because uh popular top five picks are defensive ends 
If I was to pull up a defensive end, let's say Nick Bosa, what are something that you would see maybe jump off the tape in watching a website like that? You, you in terms of watching the film, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I go, I go into studying a player, understanding that they come in all different shapes, sizes, and and ways that they win. Right, AJ Epinesa wins very differently than Nick Bosa or Von Miller, but they all play the same position and they both want to, they all want to sack quarterbacks. Right. So you have to watch the player find out why they win, why they don't win. And if that matters, because every player is different and how they fit certain schemes is very different. And so I try not to go into it wanting to see any specific thing, because if you're looking for, a guy to win with power, you're not going to like Harold Landry. If you're right. looking for a guy to win with speed, you're not going to like Brad Chubb. You know, I mean, so I think I think what's important probably is making sure that you know what matters in the NFL. And so you got to watch you got to watch NFL tape. You can't project guys to from college to the NFL without knowing what techniques and skills matter at the NFL level. So I'm always making a priority for me to always invest in watching the all 22 from, from the NFL side and watching the best players and like, why are they good? And whenever I'm watching college players, do they have these skills? Okay. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. At what level do they have them? Because you need to know what works in the NFL when you're watching college players. I like that point. Uh, this next one, I don't know if you necessarily have an answer for it, but, uh, I I was wondering, uh, do you have a favorite college team? (laughs) So when I, I grew up in Western New York and I don't know if it's different now, but nobody really cared about college football in Western New York. Not like I wanted to care about it. So there's no like team that everyone likes, you know, I mean, Notre Dame, probably the most popular school, but there's no like consensus. There's no bills. Right. Right. So. I was like five years old and I said to myself, like, I got to have a favorite college football team. So I literally started watching college football that day with the intent that I was going to pick a favorite college football team. And then I saw Shane Matthews of the Florida Gators with an orange helmet on with cursive writing on it. And that was my favorite team. Now I'll tell you right now, I'm a bad Florida Gators fan. I don't watch every game. If they lose, it doesn't affect me. So I'm at the point now where like the fandom part of college football is gone, but like the pageantry, the, the game, like just from a national perspective, that's what matters to me. If Florida's in it, I'm like interested and I, I want them to win. But if, if they lose, like I just move on with my life. It's not, I don't prioritize watching the games. You know, I want to watch the best games every week. So I, I would say I don't necessarily have a favorite college team, but, if you made me pick one, I would say Florida. Is that you now, Ryan? Is is that you with a uh, university in Miami? No, 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 no. Are you, you're no, more not, no, not not yet. I don't think. No, I mean maybe I should now with uh, Rousseau opting out, or so we'll see. Um, okay, <laughs> uh, which college stadium slash town is your favorite to visit? I had the chance to go to Alabama last year, uh, Tuscaloosa for the game uh, LSU Alabama and so it's hard it's hard for that to not be the answer Um, but when I think about I live in the Charlotte area so most of my stuff is within like three to six hours of where I am Uh, the colleges that I like to go to I love going to NC State love going to Duke Duke's beautiful 
absolutely beautiful facility. Uh, very, very, they take, they take care of you well there. Uh, Virginia Tech's really fun. Like you, you realize at Virginia Tech that you're somewhere different. And I love that. It's this very unique place. And then I'll say South Carolina as well. Okay. I've always been interested with the Virginia Tech just for, you know, the, the team entrance. Like, I think yep. that is, that's so cool. And I'd love to see that live. It is. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. Like it's, you, that's what I love about Virginia Tech is I do feel like you get from where the stadium's located to just walking to the stadium and seeing what's going on around them and just the different things that the crowd does. It's like, I feel like in the scope of the places around me that I normally go, Virginia Tech probably moves me the most in that capacity. Although their fans are very upset with me because I, I, I shared, I shared my, um, I get to vote for the all ACC team. So the preseason ballots were recently due, and so I shared my picks, and I didn't pick any Virginia Tech players, and so their fans were not happy about that, and they let me know on Twitter. Damn, Joe. Damn. So big, big <laughs> Virginia Tech hater here. College football fandom, man. It's sometimes it can be a totally different animal. Wild, wild. Yeah. Get the uh, Iowa fans. Never piss off Iowa. <laughs> uh, so is. The next question was, which college stadium or town is your least favorite to visit? Is is that now uh, Virginia Tech? Is you no. you feel like you're no, in I danger when you go there? No, no, I love Virginia Tech. Uh, the two worst, I have two worst. Um, East Carolina. That's just a bad drive from my house. Like it's in like the north northeastern part of the state. It's like four hours of just nothing. It feels like ten hours i did the orlando drive for the camping world bowl a few years ago as oklahoma state and virginia tech that drive was better than four hours to greenville north carolina and you, you just get there and you're like this is it this is the, this is it kind of disappointing uh but the time i went there i got to see houston so i got to see ed oliver and so it wind up being a worthwhile trip but i don't i'm not making that trip again unless there's a surefire first round player uh the <laughs> other one what i, I virginia I, virginia is beautiful Charlottesville, beautiful town, beautiful campus, open air press box though. You know, it makes you nervous. You don't know what you're getting into. If it's cold or whatever, like you got to deal with that. So Virginia, if I don't, if I don't go to Virginia, like the first four or five weeks of the season, I'm not, I'm not risking it. <laughs> That's not, that sounds brutal. And the open air rough, rough. I went there, the, the last time I was there was they played Indiana. It was be a beautiful fall day. Like, I don't know, like in the seventies, it was perfect, but I'm sitting there like wide open. And I'm like, I took the guy next to me. I was like, so what happens if it's like raining or it's cold? You're like, bring a jacket. I'm like, what? <laughs> this doesn't work for me. So Yikes. yeah, that, that's the only open air press box that I've ever dealt with. So um, it makes me nervous, but beautiful. Otherwise there. All right. So I was really excited for this next question. I was telling Brian before we started. Um, do you have a favorite restaurant you look forward to eating at when you visit a college game? So not college games. Um, college it's games, like I, I, I normally drive. I try not to stay overnight. Um, so it's very much like get there as early as possible to like take in as much information as I can and then get home. I do, however, have answers for you in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl, St. Petersburg for the Shrine, and Indy for the Combine. Because those are places that you're, like, there for the week, and you can really kind of take in what's around you. So uh, St. Petersburg for the Shrine game, I love Taco Dirty. I don't know if you guys have ever had this place. I don't know if there's any more. Uh, it's like 
I don't know that there's anything special about it. It's like a, a burrito bowl place, but it's a million times better than like, I have like Moe's and Chipotle and Qdoba around me, but this is like a whole nother world of like toppings and stuff like that. It's just, it's delicious. Um, in Mobile, Alabama, Saucy Q's, man. You got to go to Saucy Q's. It's right down the street from Lad Peebles, but I don't know. Their new stadium is going to be somewhere else. But it's like just the just being there, it's like it's the place that everyone goes after practice. And so, like, the food's pretty good, but it's just like kind of great memories of, of being in that establishment. And then St. Elmo's in, in Indianapolis. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard about that. The shrimp, oh, yeah. shrimp, shrimp cocktail. cocktail yep. Yeah. Have you had it? <laughs> No, I have not. That's oh. just what, like, like you hear all the media guys, whether it was Sal Capaccio or listen to like Matt Miller or something, they all talk about this shrimp cocktail. <laughs> it's man, it's just different. It hits you so different. Like, it's powerful, man. It, it will, it's gonna, like, you got to be ready for it. It's gonna clear you out for sure, but it goes away quick. So it's like this three seconds of like intense heat and then it's gone. It's just delicious. I mean, I'm, I'm not a guy that likes to spend like $18 on an appetizer. But I can't, I can't not get it every time I go there. And I try to make a couple trips every time I'm at the combine. That's awesome. The rest of their food's good too. I mean, great steaks and all that other stuff. But it's about the shrimp cocktail. Nice. nice. Ryan was was hoping for the that answer. Yes. Yeah. I was I was, I was hoping for the St. Elmo's for sure. Oh, you got to get there. They you can actually um you can buy the shrimp cocktail sauce on Amazon. Oh. Not quite right. It's not like exactly being there but you will if you put enough on your piece of shrimp you will you'll get a little taste so i i endorse it is it Look, just called saint elmo's cocktail sauce is that it yeah saint elmo's cocktail sauce I, I ordered it because i kept on talking about it my wife's like i want to try that right and she hates it right so <laughs> it didn't work out well she's like that's just too hot right like i'm, I'm telling you right now it, it, you're it's an experience you're gonna you're going to be lit up a little bit, but it's worth it, and it goes away quick. Well, let's nice. hope the uh, Buffalonians that, uh, you know, are listening to this and, and Ryan and myself can handle it because or else are we true yeah. Buffalonians? Well, you, you'll be fine. My wife's from Concord, North Carolina, man. She she does – she's like, oh, I love horseradish. I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> well, Not you got to think, you Buffalo you has the, the, the Miller's horseradish, so – can't be maybe it's the same thing something similar try, you have to try it out order order some and give me some feedback yeah i will so i was wondering um and i kind of prefaced this before we started recording that um it's a weird year there's seasons getting canceled you know we don't know exactly what's going to happen big ten's talking about that maybe they'll start trying for like i think they said the october and or maybe November, or, or maybe we'll do it in the winter. But we don't know what's going to happen to these conferences that have already postponed slash canceled their seasons. So I was wondering, of the ones that have right now either been forced to cancel their season or they chose to opt out, which ones are you the most disappointed about to see play not play this year? there's so many layers to that. Like part of me wanted to see Ohio state play this year because I thought they had a, ch- I, one of you guys is Ohio state fan. I can tell here by this conversation. No, I'm, I'm no. a Michigan fan, Michigan. Okay. So yeah. Okay. All right. I got, I, I had the wrong read there. I want to see Ohio state this year because I thought, I thought they had a chance to win it all. I think that team is just loaded. So I, I hate that we're going to miss out on that. Um, Penn state, I thought had a real chance to make some noise this year. So I mean, the Pac-12, I mean, I, I respect everybody on the West Coast. I feel, 
I feel somewhat disconnected from them. So like sure. I can kind of take it or leave it, but I, 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 I recognize that there are people out there that enjoy that football and I feel terrible for them. And I want to see all the players from the PAC 12, but it's just, it, you, you, we're just distant from it. You know, their games start at 1030. I try to stay awake for them, but I only make it till about halftime. So, you know, it's just, it's just different. It's a different feel, but yeah, I want to see Penn state. I want to see Ohio state. Um, from a player perspective, I'm really surprised that Jamie Newman opted out, transferred from Wake Forest to go to Georgia, had a chance to play for Todd Monken. Thought he needed that. You know, he, he's got really nice size and athleticism and arm talent. He has good throwing power and not good accuracy. Um, I thought he needed to showcase himself at Georgia, and he's not even going to give himself that chance. I think he wasn't going to start. I think when JT Daniels transferred in from USC, right. that guy won, won the starting job. And he's like, well, I can't sit here and be a backup and expect to get drafted. So he tried to lean on what he showed at Wake Forest, I guess. But that really wasn't that good. I think mostly the NFL views him as a day three guy. So yeah. that was the one player that opted out that I was a little bit like, man, I don't get this one. You – um. What about like you said, Ohio State? But specifically, what did you expect to see from Justin Fields this year, and 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 what were you looking to see him improve upon? You know, the thing with with Justin Fields is he did such a good job of facilitating the offense, and it's it's a little bit like Marcus Mariota, where the guy just didn't miss layups, right? Like so much of that was scheme production. RP, I mean, RPO is like crazy, just manufactured space, but like. He has really nice tools. He's he's pretty good athlete. He's got arm talent. You can see him push the ball down the field. I wanted to see him showcase a little bit more in terms of progressions and um, take another step. And, I mean, we'll see what happens. Maybe that'll still be the case. We'll get to see it. But there's a chance we've seen all the football. We're going to see Justin Fields play, and we got to feel comfortable with that or not. And someone's going to pick him in the top ten. Right, but I guess it's a good year to not need a quarterback, unless you get the first pick and Trevor Lawrence comes out. Yeah, um, of what you've seen so far from Justin Fields, um, what what do you feel confident in saying about him? And, and especially well, when you, well, especially when you yeah. like hold him up against his former, you know, uh, Ohio State quarterback alums. Well, yeah, he's a lot better than them. I right. mean, I'd, I'd take him over Haskins or all those like quarter, like all those quarterbacks that they had that won a lot of games but aren't good NFL players. You know, the JT Barretts, who's the guy that won the, the Heisman Smith? Yep. Those guys, like, no, those <laughs> Cardell Jones, those guys don't move the needle for me. Fields is definitely the best Ohio State quarterback prospect that's I've seen. And no, he's not a finished product. Yes, he needs work. We, there's a big jump for, ahead for him, but the way that the NFL is now running its offenses with pace and space and really um, playing with tempo, creating some of those college elements to what they're doing, building offenses around these quarterbacks, it gets me more excited about Justin Fields because I think from a physical skill perspective, he, he doesn't really have any limitations. So when you think about the more dynamic quarterbacks in the league right now, whether that's Pat Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, maybe Russ Wilson, He's dynamic, but maybe it doesn't quite fit where I'm going for here. You think about Josh Allen and some of the promise that he's shown. You think about Daniel Jones and some of his best moments. You feel like Justin Fields has all those types of same skills to, to make things happen. In the, you know, it's not just winning from the pocket, right? Like 15 years ago, we, we just wanted Carson Palmer to sit in there and you know dice up the secondary and deliver the football, right? Like that's boring now. 
Justin Fields gives you a skill set that you can build around. I think that that's what makes me excited about him. Yeah, I was I was definitely uh, when I was thinking about the Big Ten season canceling, I specifically thought about him, and I was like, this dude not only stood a chance to better himself and and show the you know people that would be drafting him in the spring that he's different like he needed to get out of the program's like dark shadow of these quarterbacks don't win on the next level and I I thought the same thing I was like this guy had a chance to show like I'm I'm different I'm not this uh system quarterback because that's really what Mm -hmm. they were they're 100 system quarterback there's talent all over the place the running backs the wide receivers the offensive line you know, they're set up in some of the best um, opportunities that you could possibly ask for in college football, especially coming from an offensive mindset. So, yeah, I, I feel bad for him. Now, staying on the offensive side before we move on, uh, I pulled up the uh, top 10 slash top 11 wide receivers that would be coming out this year. And uh, early thoughts were that it was going to be an elite class, and it, and it still looks pretty good. Maybe not last year's overall depth throughout the draft, but definitely say through what the first two days, we're going to have some really good talent coming out. Yeah. Well, yeah. right now I'm looking at this. We have Jamar chase opted out. Shar Bateman opted out. Rondell Moore opted out. Say Sherat opted out. Amon Ross St. Brown. That's a brother at USC. He's not playing this season because his season's canceled. Chris Olave for Ohio state, his season's canceled. And then to top it off, you got Justin Ross, who got injured and isn't going to get to play at all. What, what are we looking at when these scouts and, you know, the GMs get their hands on these tapes and they start looking? What's going to help these guys set themselves apart, especially for those ones that chose to opt out? What, what are they relying on? What's, what's going to get them drafted higher this year? Because they're choosing to not play. Even if their season comes back, they're saying they're not going to come back and play. Yeah. What, what would you say that betters their chances maybe to, to stay a high pick? Well, I think for Jamar Chase, I mean, the guy just had the greatest receiving season the SEC's ever seen. We were embracing and, and getting ready for an inevitable dip in production, right? Joe Burrow's not there. Joe Brady's not there. He's, he's not replicating. Last year, we've seen him at his best. And for him – we, he's got the tape. I mean, there's no questions about the guy on tape last year. Maybe for him it was, I need to show that I can jump high and run fast and get ready for the combine and take advantage of the strike zone and not get hurt, right? He can't hurt himself by going, by not playing, right? He, I agree. We've already seen this guy in perfect scenario. You look at Rondell Moore for Purdue. Guy had arguably the best season a freshman's ever had in the history of college football. Absolutely. And then four games the next year, right? Kind of, Kind of a tougher situation, but for him, you have to look at the way the NFL's gravitating towards like playing offense and how his skill set fits with run after the catch and making guys miss and explosive plays, and that's that's always going to be valuable in the NFL. Rashad Bateman, you know, I, I think he had a I think he was one guy that I think he'll still be a top fifty pick, but for him to go back without Tyler Johnson there, another year with Tanner Morgan, um, good offensive line coming back, he would have had a chance to really kind of claim a higher status and really showcase more of what he can do. I thought 
I thought it was like the Tyler Johnson show, and then there was also Rashad Bateman. Like, I felt like you – when you watched Minnesota, it was like Johnson was the guy. Uh, but, you know, Bateman, I thought he had something more to prove, but, you know, like who knows if he's even going to have a season. So, for them, I mean, it's – these are, like, very personal decisions. So, it's hard for me to, like, criticize them or, you know, I don't know all the details of what's going on in their lives and, and those types of things. Uh, you know, agents are certainly in these guys' ears. They have a, a strike zone that they've never had before, agents to kind of claim guys. And I think that there's some influence there. I mean, look at, look at Chase and Tyler Shelvin for LSU. I mean, like the season's about to start and they opted out, right? Like what happened? You know, shouldn't that decision have already been made? So you feel like agents are definitely influencing things. And it's hard to, it's hard to really get into all the layers of it because they are deeply personal decisions that we don't know. We don't have all the information. Right. Uh, And then they, and he's kind of by himself because he's, he wasn't going to get to play this year anyways. Um, yeah. What do you think about Justin Ross and him going forward here with, with being not able like – he'll probably be ready to participate in the combine. Um, yeah. Would he be eligible for the senior bowl? I don't know if he's going to – I'm not sure if he's uh, – I'm not sure if he's on pace to graduate. I know he's right. a junior, but – so if he's on pace to graduate, then he – he could be in the senior bowl. I don't know if he's going to be healthy or not. Right. He's right. got like a neck thing. It's kind of concerning. Justin Ross. I mean, I evaluated him and wrote him up over the summer before all the information about his injury came up. And I thought he was, I thought if you were looking for an X receiver that can win in contested situations and, you know, get himself in good positions at the catch point to win as a possession style guy that, that he could, have a role like if you were interested in the Michael Pittman's or in a T Higgins type players last year that this is the type of receiver that you would want to have but I don't know that he was like this separation specialist that you know was was going to make big plays because of his athletic profile I thought he was kind of limited in some ways to begin with so I guess I was never the biggest Justin Ross fan Um, and obviously so much hinges on whether or not the medicals show that he's going to be okay okay All right. Um, so of the guys that can either enter the draft or they can come back and play, what would your advice be to them? Everyone has to declare, right? Cause everyone got another year of eligibility. So literally like 60 or seniors have to declare for the draft because they're leaving eligibility on the table. You know, what guys have to do is like, if you're going to play, go prove it. Go show who you are, right? Your film res- your, re- your resume is your film, right? Your game tape, what you do on tape, and go be the player that you are. And if, you're the, if you think you're a top 10 player at your position, go prove it. Um, but if you want to come out and leave eligibility on the table, be comfortable with that decision. Know, know who you are. Be honest about it. Like, you know, how, you know how big you are. You know how fast you are. You know how strong you are. You know how good of a player you are. Like, if you're really honest with yourself, you know the answer to that. We're getting like 25 to th- anywhere between 25 to 35 percent of the guys that declare every year don't get drafted. It's because they're not honest with themselves, right? Like, they nobody wants to say that. Yeah, I'm not the best player at my position, but they they're they're not right. Like, they're not the best prospect. And so, being honest and getting good information and not finding what you want to hear but finding people that are honest with you that have a, 
a resume and a background of understanding where, where guys fit in the NFL landscape, that's what they have to do. But then again, like there's that other layer, like there's personal situations, guys that have to go all in for their family, you know, so that there's so many layers to it. So it's, it's always a little uncomfortable to discuss, but I think being honest with yourself and then if you're going to play, like go, go show yourself, don't make excuses. Don't sit there and say it was hard to train and all that stuff. Like go be the player that you can be. There's so much money on the line, the scouts yeah. and players. So yeah, it'd be nice if there was some sort of, I, I was thinking about this, um, some sort of council, some sort of committee that's put together that they, you know, obviously um, Blesto will give out their yeah. own grade and it's completely impartial to any NFL team. So, you know, you mm-hmm. get a good, pretty good uh, evaluation of yourself, but some sort of mentoring um, because we're, we're seeing the numbers go up year after year of guys that are opting out too early. And like you're saying, you're 25 to 35% aren't getting drafted. Are, are these guys really getting the best advice when it comes to their futures? Because are you going to bank on the fact that you're going to get undrafted? All right. So even an undrafted guy, you get a chance to go to a team and you get a chance to battle for a roster spot. You're going to be, are you going to be one of those 47 guys get that get cut? And now you got to wait on the sidelines doing whatever uh, job you can waiting for your next chance to get signed on, or you can be one of those 53. That's such a hard decision. And I'm glad I'm not one of those guys in a way, because it, I, I, when they make the wrong mistake, you know, when they, when they, the wrong choice and they're, they are the, one of those guys that what could have been, what, what could have been if you would have stayed in another year, what could have been if you transferred even, you know, I thought you brought up uh, his name on your podcast. I was listening today when uh, you were talking to, Greg Domset is um, from UB, uh, the quarterback that they had on the practice squad for a while. Tyree Jackson. Tyree Jackson. Why didn't he go back for another year of school? That's what I – now, I don't think he's necessarily a good uh, example as far as he would pos- get another year of eligibility play and be a better prospect. But I never understood him coming out because it's like, didn't you see the writing on the wall? I mean, I, I thought everybody knew, like, you, you're not an NFL prospect now. Maybe someday, but not now. You're, you said, I remember specifically, he's two years away from being two years away. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, like, the ball won't spike itself, but that guy's not on a roster. He wasn't on a 90, right? One year after he was not drafted, he flamed out or, he, you know, he didn't show anything in, what was he, in the XFL or the AAF, whatever he was in. Yeah, he didn't yeah. show anything there. And then he, he wasn't on a – he's not on a team. He didn't even get a chance this year. So – I think the problem is agents, to be honest with you. Yeah. There's, there's, there's more agents than ever before. It's competitive to get clients. And if you strike, I mean, if you strike on a guy, your life, your life changes as an agent and you know, you, you get to climb the rank. So I think the problem is agents, to be honest with you. And it's easy. I mean, Tyree Jackson, I think is a good example because it's easy to go to Tyree Jackson and say, man, you've got a big time arm. You're six, five, 200 and what, 40 pounds, you run a four, five, 40 yard dash. Like you have all these physical tools. The NFL is going to love you, you know? Yeah. And he just wants them as a client. And the next thing you know, he, you know, Tyree Jackson went from transferring to like Auburn or something like that to declaring for the draft. And then he's, Oh, he gets to go to the senior bowl and all this stuff. And it's like, it was such a pivot for him. But I think, I think agents get in these guys ears. They want clients. And, um, I mean, what 
what 20, 21, 22 year old kid doesn't want to, you know, escalate their past, their path to the NFL, you know, get there quicker. And, yeah. and I remember when I was 20, 21, 22, like you felt like another year was a long time. Right. It's not, it's no. not a long time at all. No. So, uh, when we originally started coming up with these ideas, I was looking at the college football season with more of a uh, brighter scope. And now we know that we're really only talking about uh, three conferences. So uh, of the teams that are left to play in the college football season and the ACC, the SEC and the big 12, as far as real competition, if there's some sort of playoff, um, who do you think are the top teams and, and who are you excited to see compete this year? Uh, I think in the SEC, I want to see Alabama and Florida. Um, I think, I think, man, LSU just lost too much. It's not just like almost every meaningful player they had last year, but it's Joe Brady and it's, you know, Coach Aranda, who is now head coach at Baylor, right, their defensive coordinator. It's just too much turnover from year to year. Um, but I think, I think Florida has a lot coming back. Kyle Trask in year two as a starter. Got, he has weapons. Florida's always good on defense. I think they have a chance to win the East. I mean, Georgia will be tough. We'll see how JT Daniels does. Uh, they've got talent. So, um, you know, between those three teams, I think you could see two teams in the college football playoffs. Uh, and the ACC, I, I think Clemson's overrated. I, I mean, I love Trevor Lawrence. I really do. But I, I studied Clemson extensively this summer, and, like, their returning talent isn't what it normally is. I, I mean, I, they have ETN, they have Jackson Carmen, the left tackle is a good player. Trevor Lawrence is a great quarterback prospect, but their talent that they're counting on is very unproven. And uh, I'm low. I'm low. I mean, especially on the defensive side of the football. I think that – I think their guys, some of their big-time recruits from, from the tape I've been able to watch, they, they underwhelmed to me. Now, that might be okay. They can probably still go undefeated and win the ACC and get to the dance, but – and and because of Trevor Lawrence, it could it might not matter. But I think I think this is the worst Clemson team I've seen in a while. Um, who are the Big 12s playing? Yeah. Oh well, I mean, Oklahoma State's supposed to be good this year. We'll te- see. Technically, in the, if we stay in the ACC, you get Notre Dame this year because they're playing yeah. a full ACC schedule. I don't know what your thoughts on them. Yeah, I think they're okay. Notre Dame will be okay. I mean, like in a normal year, I think they'll lose two or three games. It wouldn't be in the playoff discussion but that could change this year you know they, they could get into it that's what um, I was thinking yeah I mean I, I don't love their talent I don't think they're going to be this type of like they're not going to be a juggernaut that just steamrolls everybody but I'm glad to see they're in a conference to be honest with you I hope they join permanently that's what I said yeah About time right um are, are y'all set on that uh oh, yeah. yep. okay um all right, then I guess just a couple of your quick thoughts on some of the top players that we know are coming out this year. Well, I mean, I think the conversation starts with Trevor Lawrence. Um, athletic, big arm, fairly accurate leader. I think he's – I mean, he's he's what you want a number one overall pick. Let's let's see that he comes out. I think that, that could be interesting, right? I mean, like, does he – Clemson's done a really good job of – getting their own guys to come back. They really have. I mean, that whole defensive line came back. Travis Etienne came back. So, like, I'm I'm thinking Trevor Lawrence is going to come out and be the number one pick, but, but 
there's a part of me that's like, if he's not wanting to go to Jacksonville and he thinks maybe they're going to move to London, like he might not be too interested in that, you know, and sounds like he loves playing college football. So if he comes out, he's number one pick. I mean, I love uh, Penny Sewell, the offensive tackle from Oregon. Gives you everything, long, athletic, powerful. Uh, he'll be the first tackle off the board. I've kind of touched on Jamar Chase. I think he's the best receiver. Micah Parsons is a really special linebacker prospect. I, I am big on linebackers. I think they matter. Some people will tell you that it's a, it's a low-value position, I think, in today's NFL. You need to have really good second-level defenders. And uh, I, I think Michael Parsons is well worth the top five pick. Um, love Caleb Farley at cornerback. He's out of Virginia Tech. Yep. Size, speed, he, he opted coverage out, right? instincts. Like, he did. And, and he's interesting because he, he's a wide receiver convert. But there's you watch him play, he's really polished. He, you know, like I, I, I was surprised I didn't come away with watching his tape and thinking, wow, you could tell he's still new to the position. He's not. Like, he, he's a – he checks every box. Um, Craig Rousseau from Miami. He's he's so toolsy. You're not going to watch his tape and see a really like refined football player that does all the right things. But he's got length and power and versatility, um, and I think he's got a skill set that can win in the NFL level. But he's going to have to learn how to use his tools a little bit more effectively to beat blocks in the NFL. So those are I think those are probably like some of my favorite players for this year's draft. And then uh, just. Re- I mean, we're so new to this, but you think it is less than last year, maybe the the overall talent in in this uh, draft class as opposed to last year, especially top top end. Um, man, you know it's it's that's so hard because I did a ton of work on this class over the summer, and I I feel like I know this class pretty well, but the season the season brings so many new names to the table, right? Like last year at this point, Joe Burrow was mid round guy, right? I mean, now then he was the undisputed number one overall pick. I mean, guys like that come up and down every single year. So right now it doesn't feel as good as last year, but we also haven't had the season to kind of reveal these players. I mean, Jedrick Wills, an offensive tackle, never heard of him at this point last year, winds up being a, you know, was 11th overall pick to the Browns. I mean, so so Mikai Becton, were we talking about him last year? This time no, we weren't. No. You know, I mean, so I think that we need the season to happen so we can see some of these guys that we don't know about because it, right now at this point, of course, it pales in comparison to a, you know, fully evaluated and fleshed out 2020 class. Sure. All right. Well, Joe, thanks so much for joining us, uh, giving this inside look at uh, your world, the world of the uh, scout and um, – where can people find you, your work, and uh, how can they reach out to you? Yeah, so on Twitter, at the Joe Marino. Um, I mean, I produce different content. I host the Daily Bills podcast, host the Draft Dudes podcast. Those are daily podcasts, and of course, written stuff at thedraftnetwork.com. So if you want to stay plugged in with that stuff, at the Draft Network on Twitter. Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, Joe Marino. You can search me and find it. Send me an email, Joe at the draftnetwork.com. I, I try to get back to people and you know answer questions and stuff. So appreciate you guys having me on. This was a fun discussion and hopefully um, you know, if people are interested in following along, they they find me on those channels and don't hesitate to ask questions. I do my best to get back to people. Well, I'm sure once they find you, they they uh they'll they'll be locked in, like uh, me and Ryan are. So yeah, thanks for joining yeah. us. Ryan, it's nice to see your face all the way over there in Texas. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah.
right, so it's, it's all right to see you. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. <laughs> all right, processors and all you fans of college football and NFL draft, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Do you trust the process? the process come on get in here we got to call this thing tighten up come here all right guys here's the situation two minutes left zero timeouts down by a touchdown we got to drive 75 yards all right we could do this thing believe in each and every one of you but real quick did you guys know that the two-point conversation podcast runs five days a week monday through friday with various co-hosts and different themes every day and then you can listen to them on bicbp-radio.com apple Podcasts, or spotify so what's the play just all right just come on hurry up get to the line and just run and i will get it to somebody all right come on on three Ready, set, mother f***. Delay of game, offense.